Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Hi, everyone. I'm Anka Corbin, your host today on this Globig Podcast. So today, our hot international expansion topic is the Critical Global Expansion Checklist. Now, this is part two. Today, we're going to talk about commercial compliance preparation, you know, things such as data privacy, information law, IP protection, things like that. To listen to part one, which was focused on corporate setup, governance, and taxes, you can link to the podcast from this blog article that you'll find the podcast on. Our guest today is Linda Lim, the Director of Client Services at Global Upside. She manages all aspects of international expansion and has over 20 years experience in international finance and operations. And she started her career with KPMG Singapore and then subsequently in senior finance management roles in China, Hong Kong, UK, and the US. So Linda, welcome back to part two of this podcast series. It's good to be back. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about, you know, commercial compliance and had to really think about what are all those pieces. But I think for the most part, you know, that definitely will include IP protection, trademarking, data privacy, and information law. Um, so the first one we, I want to touch on is really IP protection. And, and I imagine this is this is a really complicated topic. It's a complicated topic in the sense that it's brought about trade wars and, you know, all sorts of things that we see in the news pretty much every day, certainly in the business news and, and that, and especially when you're thinking about certain countries where, you know, the IP is really considered different than the way we consider it. So give us a little sense of what we're talking about here with IP protection and, and how might people approach this and how do you guys approach it with your clients? Sure. So in today's kind of a global regulatory environment, I think it's particularly um, pretty challenging for uh, many companies to effectively manage uh, what we generally call the corporate compliance efforts. Um, and of course that includes the intellectual property, which generally we usually call it IP. Um, and usually a robust and balanced corporate compliance program serves many important purposes to meet these challenges. Um, when indeed when such programs are well constructed and properly in, implemented, um, for example, they tend to help you know prevent some corporate directors, officers, uh, or even employees for engaging in any illegal activities or even competitors or you know your customers. Um, and in terms of our intellectual property um, protection, typically it encompasses um, three different areas. There are three main types that uh, we usually encourage our clients to you know, review and take a look before they even um, start or launch a new product or service line. And these three main types are first one, the trademarks, and second, copyrights, and the last one is patents. Um, so trademarks, I, I believe most of you know, um, is basically like protects the names, slogans, symbol, or even company logos that usually identify a business or brand. Copyrights are usually, you know, something that you protect the original works, um, most likely in terms of the area of writing something or uh, authorship. 
Um, and the last one, patent, is really just to protect the original inventors of the functional characteristic of either a product, uh, mostly product lines that they will try to um, impose legally to protect uh, something that they created firsthand. And of course, in order to protect this worldwide, um, typically many companies do not know um, that in each country there might already exist a trademark or co you know, copyright or patent rights already in place. Um, especially if you start from US and you try to venture out, branch out to outside United States, um, a lot of times the requirements can vary. And for new businesses, especially going to a new market, um, it is actually important that um, the clients will actually take a look at all these three different um, property protection in order for them to actually go into the market um, at the right place at the right timing. Um, first of all, usually we will encourage our clients to actually do a search. Um, that can be usually done through either a professional law firm or even another there's also some IP um, production firms that really focus on doing that. They will do make sure that first they conduct a search um, whereby they will have to see if there's any existing ownership of um, having some trademark or copyrights or patent rights owners that already exist today. Um, many times you, it's pretty common that, especially for trademark, for a company's name, um, for example, a corporate wants to use a name the, the specific way it might not be used um, or able to use, use in certain country because somebody already owned that legal name or trademark. And um, of course, there's ways to, you know, obtain that, but usually it comes to a high price, especially if it, you know, the owners actually know that it's a market price linked to it. Um, so usually we encourage them to first make sure that um, no one already owned that rights in that country. And then once they know that that is clear and then they will actually go through all the legal means to make sure that um, all the IP rights are you know, obtained um, at the right timing before they actually even launch the product. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things, um, I do a lot of work with uh, accelerators and one of the things that we try to make founders aware of is they, because they have quite a bit of high, they have a high profile when they, come through some of these programs, that it's not uncommon for uh, someone in another country where it's a you know, first to register trademark registration process to have their names and their logos even trademarked before they even go into those countries. And so if at all possible, and if we know that they are going to be expanding into certain markets very quickly, we try to get them to consider the trademark process fairly early in their journey versus waiting till it's too late since it sometimes can take years to actually have that trademark. Do you run into that as well? Just knowing that a lot of time, I mean, you had mentioned that a number of times the trademarks are already taken. Um, so then what do we, you know, what do companies usually choose to do after that? Well, it's always boils down to do they really want that trademark or not. So if, um, you know, the corporate parent company um, insists that they want it throughout worldwide as the common trademark, um, many times you can actually, um, you know, negotiate for to take over the ownership in that country if someone already owns it. 
And if they are willing to release that, you know, um, that ownership and do the transfer, um, it's possible that usually you can get it, um, you know, with the, with proper um, settlements. Um, and and actually, there are many cases that um, people want to do that because they want to protect um, the trademark names that has been built over the years, especially if a logo or a name that you know a lot of customers knows worldwide. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty common that um, a lot of corporate companies actually go ahead to actually own it by you know taking over a ownership. Okay, so really, you should know that if you don't register fast, you most likely will need to acquire or or rename yeah. or do something a little bit different. But most companies don't really like having to start with a new brand in a new country, right? Correct, because starting a new brand, a new, I mean, it takes a lot of marketing efforts to actually build a brand. Mm-hmm. And it takes time and resources. It's not like it happens instantly. So that also involves a lot of costs, a lot of time planning, a lot of resources to actually build up a brand that um, is going to be known in the market. Um, but if let's say in the US that the parent company or whichever parent company actually already own a, a brand or name that they already have established over the years, and just wanted to bring that brand to a new market, um, and yet it's not available. And that's probably one of the biggest challenge that um, some of all these known um, household brands or you know consumer brands that you know people go into that they know. Um, and many times it could you know take even a long period of time even just to acquire, depending on how soon um, the owner is willing to release that. Right, that makes sense. You know, you had mentioned trademark and patents and and things like that but we see and let me know if you guys see this as well um i companies trying to protect softer ip such as maybe customer lists or a formulation of how they do something that they didn't get um any sort of patent around or but but it's still considered intellectual property so it makes it i think really a little tougher but then they do try to protect it through um, contractual means and things like that is that something that you are seeing as well i just know that there there are other softer things that are just so much tougher to protect um it's indeed that um you know as the business expands um a lot of all this information especially pertaining to clients um is critical for you know a business to run in the long run and um many companies today actually start to build up you know their data in terms of um non disclosure agreement or you know some confidential uh, agreement that or non-compete information that they actually will import mm-hmm. um, even prior to going into a contractual agreement with especially a major client. Um, many times, um, I think non-compete uh, agreement is pretty common, especially for um, making sure that you don't disclose certain information or you don't go into the similar market um, or go not into any competitors before, you know, for the business reason. Um, but in today's world, you know, anything is, is possible and especially, you know, for the social media, um, the technology, it's very easy, you know, to get to reach, reach out to somebody. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we used to always say that you can always get agreement, but typically a lot of times, um, you know, it's, it's no longer enforceable in certain countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you will see like in Brazil uh, right now, the government is imposing a lot on their system just to, um, you know, impose some laws to actually enforce, you know, against the corruption. Many of the companies find it hard today to actually do business in Brazil because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, or even for like a new company wants to go and build up a new brand uh, in Brazil, it's not easy because just setting up a company there, is, it takes time. It's even worse if you want to work, open a bank account and all this is actually, you know, builds up and it's making it harder to actually do business, um, you know, uh, worldwide. So. Uh, many times I will encourage, you know, in order for a good company to actually run worldwide businesses or internationally, um, there from, from, um, basically there are five principles that a company can actually take a look in terms of ensuring their corporate compliance efforts in, in protecting their IP or um, rights. And one of the elements um, actually includes leadership, um, risk assessment, you know, in, po- in placing like standards and controls, training and communications to employees, to parties like their clients or even vendors, and um, just making all this known to everyone. And when we talk about leadership, a lot of times actually is um, how, you know, the company is being run um, local in, you know, in each company. Um, the manage- management actually takes an important role in making sure that, um, you know, all this compliance um, program is actually built on very solid foundation of ethics and integrity. Um, because once it comes from the top, then it boils down, you know, to each level of the, the corporate office that, you know, they have to make sure they do this the right way. Um, and many times the company's compliance officer should be the ears of the individual that is ultimately responsible for all this corporate conduct. Right. You know, you had mentioned something earlier um, about corruption, and, and I've seen a lot of, certainly a lot of conversation around it, and even some regulations that are changing in a number of different countries to make it easier to do business, and that's related to corruption and anti-bribery and and things along those lines. Um, are, what are you seeing? What countries are going through some of those processes? And what are the risks if you try to play that game? It, you know, I, I always believe that if you're the foreign con- company, you should always stay above board and always follow the regulations because you're going to be the first one that is going to be held up as an example. So, you know, that's always my statement. Just do not ever go down that path. But I, I do see some countries now trying to pave that way so that it's just a little bit more of a fair uh, playground, right? A little more, um, it's just easier to not have to do with bribery and, and that sort of thing. So what are you seeing in that, Mark, in that aspect? I think one key thing is um, whether for all any countries, I think transparency is, is the main goal. Um, especially for lately, there are a few countries that has um, started to impose very strict rules about compliance. 
Um, very common ones are Brazil and Mexico. Right now, like all businesses have to use a local system um, to record every single transaction, be outgoing or incoming um, transactions like paying a vendor or billing a client. All this has to help go through their local systems whereby each single transaction has you know, a transaction reference number. Um, they are just trying to make sure that all the transactions are accounted for. Um, there is no bribery, there's no corruption. Um, basically, they just want to make sure that everyone follows the rules, that if anyone doesn't comply, it's, it's actually huge penalties. Uh, if you ever get audited and it's not, you know, maintaining a local set of books, um, basically your, your business cannot survive because they just put a stop to it. Um, it's not just even paying a, a huge penalty. It's, it's basically you will lose the license to run the business there. Right. Um, and this is very serious for you know for companies that invest so much into growing their market. Um, of course, there continues to be a lot of challenges, um, especially for if let's say a parent company trying to retain control at a corporate office and yet they need to maintain a local set of booths whereby they do not have a presence of resources. Um, and that's where they, they have all these challenges of not being able to comply with these requirements. And many times actually Global Upside has, has already helped uh, many of our clients to actually establish um, that system and manage to actually comply with the local requirements and yet allow the clients to focus on their core businesses so that they don't have to worry about the risk of you know being not able to comply with the requirements locally. Right. That's the tough part, I think, is is going down to the local level. It is so challenging, too. And it's something that you really can't do without someone that's right. understanding it on the ground, right? Uh, let's jump topics to data privacy. I think most of our listeners should be very, very familiar with the GDPR or the General Data Protection Regulation in the EU that came into play um, in what, 19, uh, 2018 um, in May. But you know, each country does have cybersecurity information regulations as well as data privacy protection and regulations to be aware of and, frankly, to prepare for in advance. So what are you seeing in that? How critical is it to get that taken care of in advance? And what are some of the things that you know people need to be kind of on top of? All right, GDPR, I think it's, it's a very um, known concept, especially in the European Union, whereby um, it does affect, you know, how the businesses collect, stores and manages the personal data, user data, especially for the citizens of the EU member states. And many times, um, if you are not in the EU, basically you do not even know the concept because uh, this is very much first started there. And it has actually influenced a lot of international businesses because, you know, there's so much companies that actually, you know, deals with the EU um, states clients. And many times, you know, it, it actually didn't know that whether they are compliance or not. Mm -hmm. um, we have like clients that, uh, for example, wants us to, you know, for example, implement a payroll in Russia. And Russia has very strict GDPR requirements that they do not even allow you 
to even share any information via email or internet means or you know any virtual communication. Everything has to be paper, uh, documented, and must be stored physically locally. Um, and this is can be challenging, for, especially for us in this generation. Basically, a lot of things are done virtually um, over the internet, right? Mm -hmm. And this can be, um, you know, very stressful for a business that tries to run a business out of outside United um, outside Russia, and yet we want to go. They do is it's basically GDPR. You actually have to get a consent of you know the user or the owner of the personal data to make sure that um, they consent to release such information to be used by third parties, so that they are aware or fully aware who has the you know managed to get hold of their data and they are fully aware. So it's it's also part of the transparency um, that they're trying to build on and yet trying to protect. Um, you know the owners of such data, and the penalties of not such non-compliance is very severe, which many people probably do not know, and it varies in each cases. But um, in some serious cases, if there's caught of any breach of GDPR, it can be fined from two percent of an annual worldwide turnover of the presidium, or it can be up to four percent, or you know in euros it could be up to twenty million whichever is greater. And this actually you know, applies to both the data controllers and data processors, meaning even cloud organization are not exempt from the enforcement. Mm -hmm. So if you are, not only the companies are being held responsible, the people who help to manage their storage data are also liable for it. And you're seeing that GDPR really influence you're, you're seeing the GDPR influence other countries outside of the EU as well as a, an approach to data privacy and, uh, you know, even how they manage it and any sort of fines. And so it's not just the EU, which is really fascinating. And it's, it's surprising how few companies are either compliant or aware of how big of an impact this really has. Right, and it, it becomes a very um, common topic or uh, actually more and more people are talking about it because they realize that, um, you know, it can lead to very severe consequences if let's say they do not comply with the GDPR requirements. And there's main areas that we always uh, encourage um, our clients to, you know, need to take a review about all these data privacy, especially one, they need to disclose if there's any breach of personal data, they need to do it fast. Two, they also must allow them that they do have the consent, um, which means a written consent by the owner that they do have the right to access to some personal data. We also need to also allow the right to be forgotten on what we call the data eraser, means that you actually give, get the consent from the owner that you have the right to remove the data. Um, that also includes providing the data possibility. That means you can actually move data from one storage to another storage if in the event that you change, you know, your cloud provider or your data provide, um, storage provider, you need to actually make sure that you have the release form that you're able to transfer the data. Um, that also includes data protection from designing the system 
um, and you know that you make sure that it covers the, the GDPR protection as well. What are you seeing in other countries? So GDPR is a very much of an EU concept, but are you seeing the same sorts of things in South America yet? Are you seeing these in Asian countries and you know what what's kind of the trend? Um, I think the trend is it will spread through Asia and even Latin America sooner or later. Usually, you know, once it starts somewhere, it will actually spread, especially international business expansion is so common. Um, and once the business grows big or, you know, when there is data sharing is getting huge, there's bound to be a boundary where it can go. And frankly, uh, in my opinion, that GDPR eventually will always branch out to all these countries. And of course, um, we often think that people, when they go into a new country, they always have to you know, evaluate and make sure that they get themselves prepared. So there are some of the things that, that is important to actually you know, think through before even they manage to in, enter into a country and start running business is whether one, is there any data privacy registration requirements? Two, is the data flow going to trigger any data transfer obligation? Three, is there any customers or employees or even vendor notification requirements? And four, is there any requirements regarding, you know, contracting with a third party vendors? Um, are there any requirements relating to any data monitoring? For example, are you allowed to save um, some information either through your computer or through an online platform or even through a CCTV? Is there any privacy policy requirement, be it internal or external, and also if there's any requirement due to payment obligation? So these are the things that are what we call checklists that they should actually watch out for, um, especially considering the data privacy and the information law. What's the difference? So what information law is that primarily related to cybersecurity and then data privacy, the the data that you are deciding whether a company can do something with? Is that what we're kind of considering? Because, you know, what do, what do countries have as information law versus data privacy law? Um, a lot of the data privacy um really relates to like more pertaining to personal data. Information law uh, many times circle around like specific either the company or even the industry with some of the information that relates to the particular specific industry. Um, some of the countries do have specific laws regarding that. Um, and that's why it's more important for companies to actually think you know, of such requirements um, especially going into a, a, a new country. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. That's really great, helpful information. Um, I want to make sure I remind our listeners that this is part two of our series on the critical international expansion checklist. So you know, don't forget to listen to part one because there was a whole lot of important advice in that one as well. Um, Linda, I want to thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you. This was really, really helpful, and I think it'll help a lot of people go abroad. Well, thanks for having me at the, on the podcast. If, you all have, if anyone has any questions about what we discussed today, feel free to reach out to me at lynda.lim at globalupside.com. And we'll make sure to have Linda's information as well as the downloadable 
critical um, expand, international expansion checklist from Global Upside available so that it makes it just super easy for you to kind of go through. And then, but having someone like Linda help you walk through, you know, definitely get a hold of her. She'll give you some really great advice as to where to start. Um, make sure you join the free Globig Resource Hub um, at, on globig.co if you're serious about doing business internationally. Um, we can help you with connecting you to great international services such as Global Upside, as well as just helping to make your day-to-day so much more productive. So don't forget to subscribe to this podcast channel for more fantastic international expansion podcasts. Thank you for joining us. Go global and go big.